Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. Welcome, everybody, to a fresh episode of Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm delighted to be joined by Simon Hares today. Simon is the Managing Director of Serial Trainer 7 Limited, and they're based in Bath, just actually down the road from myself in Somerset. Um, He's been going for around six and a half years strong and specializes in training and coaching people in the relevant skills of sales and management, as well as personal development. Simon spent around 30 years as a sales professional, so far more experienced than than myself, and he trains people all over the world, including USA, Belgium, Germany, France, as well as the UK. Simon, a very warm welcome, sir. Hey. How are you? Nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So excited to jump in. There's a heck of a lot we want to cover today. Um, The main focus point is going to be proposals. So um, something we as sales professionals or people in business or marketing in general often get asked, sounds great, or I've made an initial inquiry, send me a proposal. Um, but as, as we know, they don't always, they're not always a fruitful occasion. So we're going to cover plenty of, plenty of topics as when you should send a proposal, how to create killer proposals that convert and many other questions around that. Yeah. Before we get into that spicy stuff, Simon, we'd love to learn a bit more background on yourself. So if you could tell us a bit more about where you grew up, how you got into sales and business and a few of the key experiences you've had and lessons yep. learned along the way. And then we'll chat a bit more about your own business. Yeah, sure. No worries. So um, I was, uh, I was, I was brought up in, in Bristol, moved to Bath very, very quickly. Um, and um, basically got into sales really early on. And I think basically that we're, we are, we are all salespeople, aren't we? We're, whatever you're doing, where you know whether you're, you know, putting a CV together, you're selling yourself, whether you're asking for your own way, you know, we're all salespeople. And so I fell into sales very quickly, especially within the hospitality industry. I did a lot around there. And I also did a lot, um, we did the kind of retail stint, but I had a, a definite strategy in those days. I mean, I'm 52 now. So in those days, the big retail names were names like The Body Shop, The Gap, Next, those people where you wanted to get a real experience of what retail and great retail sales was all about then and those businesses were UK and international of course and were at their heyday so I got some great experience there before going into media sales as well okay interesting the newspapers um, yep. and into uh, magazine publishing and worked at future publishing in Bath for 16 years and um, before redundancy hit six years ago when the business was restructured um, and then set my own company up, Serial Trainer 7, as a result of that. Got it. So, yeah, let's talk a bit more about media sales, um, something fairly close to my heart, being a digital marketing professional and, and sales pro, uh, well, sales dabbler. Um, it's, it's, it's not always an easy gig, is it, uh, media sales or selling advertising space? So tell us a bit more, Simon, about what you're actually doing there and um, how, how you made it happen. How I know you progressed along the ranks along, among the 16 years up to a management level. So tell us a bit more about the job, what involved and what you learned. So when um, I initially went into local newspapers, um, okay. it, it was, it was a, a great opportunity because you'd be selling advertising in a free newspaper to begin with. And they always say, if you can sell advertising in a free newspaper, you can sell advertising pretty much in anything because the old moniker was that free newspapers were used for kind of budgie cages and things like that, <laughs> you know. And it wasn't true because they had a real value and they do have a great value out in the marketplace. But then moving from there, I then went into paid for newspapers and the transition of selling advertising in something that was essentially free and pushed on people to then something yeah. you can actually buy was a natural transition and made selling somehow a bit easier. And then to go into future where we were selling obviously magazines and print and websites where they were in a specialist market. And I was lucky because I worked across so many different specialist markets that you realize that actually the product doesn't actually matter that much. It's the fact that you know how advertising works. And that's the value that you're delivering to clients. And when I train salespeople now who work in advertising, I'm really keen to always say to them, you don't sell advertising. What you actually sell is audience. 
And that's okay. a powerful message because when you are working in an advertising space, you're selling the power of what an audience represents, their buying power and their buying habits. And you're putting somebody in a shop window in front of a relevant audience. And that's so much more powerful than you know, just saying we fill boxes and we've got a bit of space. So when we start to bring the sale of advertising right up to date and we incorporate things like the find your why, which is so popular right now after Simon's like next book, you know, yeah. finding your why is important. When we start to talk to advertisers about why they should advertise, we know that ultimately people are in business to do one of three things, make money, save money, or reduce risk. Well, that's easy in advertising because most people who advertise are doing it to do one of those three things. When we look at the how, the how is to put them in front of a relevant audience. And what we're gonna do is provide them with an advertising mechanism, whether it's print, whether it's a digital skyscraper, whether it's some form of marketing mail out, that's the what that you do. So when we start to think about modern selling of advertising, if we use the kind of Simon Sinek why model, why we do it, how we do it, what we do it, we end up with something really powerful. Awesome. So it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, Simon, rather than selling the product itself, which in your case was the advertising space, maybe websites, ad space, media yeah. space, and so on, you're actually saying the outcome that comes as a result of working with you. So Absolutely. like you said, um, the, the company you're talking to, the business you're talking to, will be able to make money or save money or reduce um, risk. From, yeah. from Okay. No, that's, that's interesting. Advertising, ultimately, if, if you want to reduce risk, I mean, the number of times you can talk to publications that have got a massive audience that they reach, but the specialist area that a, a client might want to reach will, will involve them buying space in that big audience, but that's a lot of wastage. So therefore they want something very specific. But if they would just want to make money and it's branding and they just want to put their name out there, well, then you're looking at that audience and that's what you're doing. You're talking to the audience. And that's what's so important because it moves you away from product selling. And that's why when people sell advertising, you know, it's so important to just talk about the audience and the relevance of who they're reaching. Got it. Got it. And to actually do that. What, what were the strategies that you were using, Simon? Was it mainly um, cold calling or cold outreach back back then? Or was it a range of different channels that you guys were in? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it was all, it was phones. You know, yeah. that, was, that was what we did. You know, every, and, you know, in the very, we didn't even have email in the early days. You know, so you relied on, you know, writing things down manually yeah. and, and using a phone. But, you know, every day we have to talk to people right now and you see so much that's out there about cold calling is dead. You know, people don't do that anymore and social selling and all these different things. But ultimately, people have to talk to each other. And we use all sorts of different messages to do that and different ways of doing it. And the phone is still a great way to talk to people. Of course, in the light of the pandemic, video has really found its feet. And sure. for the last six years, I've been banging the drum, and I really have been banging the drum as well, about how we should be using FaceTime as an example to talk to clients. Because a lot of the time, when salespeople are out, they spend a lot of time traveling to and from clients. There's a massive cost incursion for that. I'm running my own business. I don't have time to travel all over the country or all over the world to talk to clients just to have meetings. So I've used video technology for years. Of course, now a pandemic has come out. Everybody's using it. And video has really found its feet right now. So we're using video a lot more to talk to people and it really speeds up the sales process as well. It gets things a lot done a lot quicker. Completely agree. We did the same actually at WebChoice. We um, probably about a year and a half ago, not long after I rejoined the company, just before I came one of the owners, I said, look, we're, we're traveling back and forth to London like a couple of times a month. It's costing hundreds of pounds in travel. Sometimes we've got to stay there. Obviously we've got all the food, the drinks, et cetera. It's mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands. Why don't we just move everything to video call? So we made a we, we, we made a rule. So any any clients, any prospects we were talking to, we said, look, sorry, we, we won't travel. We're happy to set up a, a Zoom conference, a Skype conference. Um, but if if meeting up's a deal killer, then I'm afraid we're we're not going to be the right fit for you. And as yeah. a result, we actually won more deals, we saved more money, we made better use of our time because we could spend more time prospecting, serving our existing customers and connecting with new ones. Just just makes sense. 
and obviously well, the pandemic showed that. You know, put that you put that in the clients in the clients frame of mind. You know, they, they mm. don't have their day disrupted so much because exactly. they're waiting around for people to turn up. They've got to book rooms, all of that stuff. You know, it's so much better for them as well. And the cost saving is huge. And for sales directors out there with budgets for travel and entertaining and all those things, they're going to see big savings on those, which means they could probably look, and I suppose I'm going to be quite controversial when I say this, um, they've got more money then to actually give to the salespeople as a reward yeah. Yeah. in terms of commission, upping salary, that type of thing. So, because <laughs> if you don't spend it, then the finance director is going to take it back. So, <laughs> too right. Look, um, what you said just now about about selling audience rather than the actual products, so or selling outcomes rather than the product yeah. or service you offer, was interesting. I don't want to talk about cold calling all day, but what I do want to know is how did you find out when you were selling advertising space? How did you find out what was important to your prospective clients? Were you conducting discovery on the initial cold calls to find out kind of who they wanted to be speaking to and then customizing that outcome to them? Or tell us a bit more about how you made that happen. What we do is it, it was all about the, you know, we now call them disco calls or discovery calls. It was all about questioning back in yeah. those days. But we had a, a sales process that we used to enable that to happen. And okay. in sales, there are so many different sales processes around there. And people who are watching in media would be familiar with things like Dipada and Ada and those types of things. Ours was PCMC, Probe, Confirm, Match and Close. Okay, and, never heard of that one. Yeah, Probe, Confirm, Match and Close allowed you to focus on the two main areas of the sales process, and that's finding out and showing how. By probing and questioning, you're finding out everything you need to know, confirming back what you know to get to be able to go to the next steps of matching that product's and that customer's problem or goal or issue with your service and then asking for the business. So it was a nice, easy process that allowed you to facilitate that sales conversation. Of course, it's often the case that with a lot of salespeople, you know, features and benefits makes their eyes roll a little bit because you think, oh, we, you know, it's sales 101, we've done it so many times. But yep. even now, you hear a lot of salespeople still only giving features to what they're doing. And that client is left in a position where they think, okay, so you're the market leader. So you've got more of this, or you do this, or you do that. And in their minds, they're hearing the word, so what? Yep. You know, so what if you do that? So what if you do that? What does that mean to me? So whenever we're questioning our clients, we should always be thinking about how we can make our clients more money how we can help them save money, those three key things of reducing risk, and then listening out for those things in the answers that the clients give you to your questions, and then making sure you incorporate the fact that they will be ultimately making money, saving money, reducing risk by using your particular product. And that way, it brings value to them. But what it also brings is something else that I'm really passionate about, and that's relevance. Okay. And relevance in sales, I think, is more important than difference. Because when you hear salespeople sell, you'll often hear them say that they're different. And when I was at Future, you know, I, I ran the training side as well for the last few years that I was there. And you'd always get people ringing you up, suppliers and what have you, that would proclaim to being different. But the thing is, if they were truly different, they would be able to tell you that they were helping you to make money, for example, or one of the other two. But they never did. They just told us some random fact about themselves as something that they did. So they didn't sound like they were different. They just sounded like everybody else. So when we start to talk to clients, we should always be thinking about how can we make what we offer relevant and relatable to that client? And the only way that we do that is to understand the reasons why people are in business in the first place. And that's Got about making money. So therefore, it's always about being relevant. And if you say to people, we are relevant, then that helps as long as you know what makes you relevant. And I remember recently sitting in front of a client and the client said to me, what makes your sales training different from anyone else's? And I said to him, do you know what? Absolutely nothing. And the look on his face was kind of, then why the hell are you sat in front of me? And I said, before you get panicky, I said, sales training is sales training. There's really 
not a huge amount that's different. It's respun. It's how it's delivered and what's relevant for you as a salesperson to take away and use and apply. But what makes my sales training relevant is that I'm a salesperson. I'm selling every single day. So I feel the pain that your people go through and I can relate to them. And suddenly that lit his face up because that was what I was doing. So he saw us on a level playing field and that made yeah. me relevant. So the Love minute that. you bring in a relevant element to what you're doing in the way you sell, things become much more meaningful for that person and stops you doing the old turn up and throw up routine where you're just, you know, spouting a load of stuff. That's that's such a good point because the amount of times myself and I'm sure everyone tuning in has probably been asked that question, look, why should we pick you for X? Why should we pick you for this project? And quite often I hear that at the start of conversations. So we might have had an inbound lead. They say, hi, Sam, we'll talk a little bit, um, do an intro, build rapport. They'll say, okay, so why should we pick you for this web project or for this SEO project, digital marketing project? I'll, I'll be up front. I'll say, look, I don't know if you should. I need to ask a few questions to find out if we're actually even going to be a good fit. It might be that we're way off the mark in terms of budget, in terms of timeframes. It may be that what you're asking is something we can't even do, in which case I'm happy to refer you to a recommendation. Somebody probably can help you. So I, I need to ask a couple of questions before I even, even know if we can do some business together. And then you're steering it away from kind of talking about your awards, talking about how good your projects are and all this BS. And you're actually getting to the heart of the matter and then customizing it, like you say, to, to be relevant. So I love that. Okay. Cool. Have, before we before we go down a discovery rabbit hole, have you got one or two questions, Simon, that you love to ask that really bring out importance in terms of what's actually important to your prospect, kind of their their what they care about? Have you got one or two questions that people can action from today in their discovery? What I tend to do is it's about framing the question, most importantly, mm -hmm. and I tend to use questions that have an outcome base to them. So when we look at the makeup of questions, for example, we always talk about, you know, open-ended questions and all this and the other. But the questions that I like to ask the most begin with three keywords. First questions I always ask are why questions, the second are when questions, and the third are how questions because what they give me back is really rich. Let me qualify that for you. When you ask any question that begins with the word when, when is always going to give you a time frame in return. So it gives you an understanding of how you can take that conversation into the next steps for that client and you can manage their expectations in terms of time frame as to when they want something to happen. When you ask somebody a how question, a how question is always responded with a process or a methodology or a way of doing things. Okay. So therefore, that gives me more of an insight into the way that that client thinks about things or the way they go about doing something. And then the last one is I like to ask questions that begin with why. I'm very, very nosy. So I like to do the old why routine with people. Why do you do that? Why is that important? And why would you want to be focusing on that right now? The reason I ask why questions is to listen out for what the answer will begin with. And nine out of 10 times, it will begin with the word because. When we have conversations with people, anyone that's asked a question, why do you do this? If the answer begins with because, psychologically, it usually means that they believe it to be true. So therefore, why questions uncover a truth that that person believes to be correct. Now in sales, we often ask questions that begin with why without thinking about it. So we might say, why did you choose to go with the competitor on this particular product? And the sales and the client might turn and say, well, because they told us that they were the market leader. Now, the answer says that that client believed because they were told that, that was, they were the market leader, so they used them. The salesperson they're talking to knows for a fact that that product is not the market leader, that they are. So the instinct is to say, well, actually, that's not true. We are the market leader. So well done, salesperson. What you've done is you've just created all the facts put into place. You've told the client that they've been misled. You've actually corrected them and given them the right information. Bravo. But what you've also done is you've contradicted what that client believed to be true. So you're reinforcing the kind of legend that salespeople are liars. So if they lied to me, then you must be lying to me. And yeah. if that person, let's say, has bought advertising, well, they believed in advertising enough to believe what that salesperson said. But if you've just told them that they were told something that's wrong, 
what you're doing is you're actually unraveling that client's belief that salespeople are to be trusted or that advertising works. So therefore, you're lining yourself up for any objection to come in. So when we start to ask questions, the how, the why, and the when are really, really important. Now, another question I like to do as well, and I'm just going to throw this in, is I like to ask questions that, or make statements that put the objection in front of the client before okay. they actually raise it. Yeah. So if you know you've got a high-priced product, and you know that the product you sell is expensive and requires significant investment, it's important to say that to the client by saying to them, you're probably thinking that the training that I offer right now, or buying sales training of any kind, is quite an expensive investment. And the answer is, you're actually right. It is something that you need to consider seriously, and it does require quite a significant amount of investment, both in time, but also in money on your side. What this does is it stops the clients from actually giving you, from their perspective, oh, that sounds too expensive, because you've already teed it up as being yeah. something that they need to be serious about. So therefore, very early on, you are qualifying the clients to deal with you. And if we think about the old technique of using BANT, you know, budget, authority, need and timing, you're covering off the budgeting qualification very early, which means that you can either extend the conversation because they're qualified or you can kind of cut through it quite quickly because you know that it's not going to come off, come off. So right. we want to be able to do things in our discovery and questioning where we put objections actually in front of them before they say it to take the wind out of their sails, but also to ask questions that give us a bit more richness rather than just the standard stuff. Customers, customers know that they're going to get questioned, but we have a responsibility as salespeople to make sure that we're doing something with the answers they give us and not just going, uh-huh, that sounds wonderful, great, okay, next. In the customer side, they're wondering what the hell's going on. Yeah, too right. Love that, Simon. Okay, let's let's move on. We've had some awesome tips there in terms of discovery, in terms of sales and prospecting in general. So let's learn a bit more about your business. Before we get to the juicy part of when to write proposals, how to write killer proposals, let's learn a bit more about why you set up on your own, Simon. And um, tell us a bit more of how, how you've been able to grow your company, how you've been able to acquire clients in the sales training sector over the last six and a half years or so. Yeah, well, <clears throat> we've been, um, you know, really lucky to have some really fantastic clients all over the world from really, really big international companies to smaller businesses and SMEs. And it's just a, a real privilege to work with anyone that wants to better themselves, really, whether they want to become a better salesperson or what have you. And I, you know, the seven of Serial Trainer 7 is the seventh habit from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that seven okay. is always sharpen the axe. And that means that when I'm training, I'm training people on things that I do myself to keep my skills sharp so that it keeps that relevance there so that people are being trained by someone who's actually doing it and been through and goes through what they do every day. So it's important to do that. Um, I use a lot of networking. Um, so I go to a lot of networking shows and a lot of networking events. Uh, we've got the Glove Factory and Holt just outside of Trowbridge here in Wiltshire. We've got okay. a lot of working hubs that we go to and I do a lot of talks to people there. Um, I do an annual one at the Glove Factory to kick off sales and you pick up business there. But it's also about referral as well and testimonial. We like that. I like to refer a lot of people to other people and you get that reciprocation back. But ultimately, it's about picking up the phone. It's about reaching to people to find out what's going on with their business and talking to them. And, you know, as, as I say quite a lot um, on all of these, we all have that magical sales maker app just on the bottom corner of our phone there. And, you know, it's quite an incredible thing if you can get people to talk to you. And now we use video. We can see them in real time. That's fantastic. So I like, right. to, I like to just get in front of people and talk to people. So that's how I built it up. You know, awesome. make five cold calls a day. You know, and it doesn't matter what you call it. It's an introductory call. It's a cold call. It's a way of getting somebody in front of your business. That's what we do. Got it. Excellent. So networking, referrals, testimonials. Uh, what about from a digital standpoint, Simon? What's working for you in terms of digital, in terms of social, some of the things you've seen results with? Um, well, uh, the most powerful one for me is LinkedIn, without a doubt. Okay. 
Um, a couple of years ago, I saw somebody, and it might have been Daniel Disney, it might have been, that was posted that said, why would you just spend equal amounts of time on all of your social media? If you know that one particular one works and it brings you 70% of your return, then you should be spending 70% of your time on that one platform. And that little tip really revolutionized everything. And as such, it meant that I closed down a lot of other social media channels that I was using because it, it just wasn't doing anything. But LinkedIn is definitely the one where I can talk to people I can give away content, I can do video, um, and it really makes such a difference. So LinkedIn is the biggest one that I use. And I've got a strategy that I do that, uh, use it for. I use it for video and I try to put a lot of free tips up every day. To okay. I can. Um, but also when um, people connect with me on LinkedIn, I like to send them a video message as well. Hi they receive that so on um the message center of linkedin there's a little yeah. plus button isn't there on the message center if you click that plus plus button it's amazing how many people have never seen that before as well hit that plus button you'll get the video option there and you can do a video and they love it people love that personal touch but if you feel that you're a little bit uncomfortable or maybe you think you've got more of a face for radio then <laughs> you can just use the audio message function and people love that too. So, you know, video is becoming very powerful and I'm also using it to confirm meetings as well. So if you know you've got a meeting in the diary, send a video yep. message beforehand the day before. It's a great thing to do. That's a difference. That's yeah, that's brilliant. I think you've raised some some great points. So like like you said when you're talking to Dan, who's been on the show, he's one of the first guests and he's a friend of mine. Um yeah, work out where your customers are actually on. Because I think we've all made the mistake of trying to hammer too many social platforms. And then before you know it, you're on about seven different social channels and you've got no no time to actually meet your existing customers or sell to new customers and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So if you are a B2B sales professional, the chances are your, your ideal customer are going to be on LinkedIn with a few mm. kind of exceptions. So yeah. it, makes, it makes sense to dedicate a bit of time time there each and every day. And like you say, I've seen some of your videos that you put out in terms of kind of sales tips. And it's a really nice way to kind of give, give some... Uh, Give some free tips and kind of share your expertise. Give away, give us, you know, give away more than you'll ever get back because it guarantees a return. But you know, you've got to be really, really sure about the audience that works for you. And it may be that you just do the hashtag sales thing, and that right. might work from you. I find that's terrific. But I found a community of really influential people who are the sales authors, and. Okay following sales authors and seeing the stuff that they put up is really powerful and there's some terrific people out there who are really active and some of them are now i can consider them as friends because they're so good at what they do and the people who follow them you end up picking up business and what have you from those people so when we look at some of the big sales authors like that are out there you know daniel disney is amazing truly exceptional larry levine oh my goodness his book selling from the heart james muir brilliant you know there's a couple of books that are out at the moment that are really doing the, the grounds. I mean, the Revenue Growth Engine by Daryl Amy and his stuff that he does, just fantastic. And for video, Rehumanize Your Business by Ethan Butte and Stephen Pacinelli, which is how personal videos accept, accept, oh my goodness, I can't speak, accelerate sales and improve customer service. It's just fantastic stuff, you know, and they've got something really valuable to say. So you start getting involved with their followers, then you can get a really targeted market. And that's how I find a lot of stuff for me is by following those people and interacting with those. Awesome. Awesome tips, man. Love it. Love it. and love the videos. Um, so keep putting out that good stuff. All right. We've covered some good ground, but let's get into, let's get into the proposal. proposal oh, right. Simon. Um, so I'm sure we've all been there. I'm sure plenty of people tuning in or watching have been to that stage where it could be a new inquiry. It could be someone you've speak, been speaking to for a while. It could be an existing customer. Um, and they say, Simon or Sam, please send me a proposal. Now, should everyone we ask, Simon, or does everyone we ask, that asks us rather, qualify for a proposal or a quotation or whatever they're asking for? Well, the simple answer is the client The client deserves exactly what they're asking for. You have to give the client what they want. It's just how you deliver it that matters. Okay. So if the client says to you, can you send me a proposal? One of the first things that I always ask is, um, 
So how would you like that? What sort of format do you want it in? Yeah. If they're just going to say to you, just a breakdown of costs or just something really light, then that tells me that I can put something together that maybe I can do as a very top line document for them attached to an email. Or maybe I can just put a single line of information within the email itself. But if that client is quite a serious client in the terms of their way that they communicate and maybe they sound quite strategic, it may be that they actually say things like, if you can send over a proposal document for me, um, outlining how it's going to work, the logistics, the costs, all of those types of things, and I've got enough information on them, then I'll put together something a little more robust um, with more structure that I will then send to them. So I always ask, what type of format do they want it in? And the second question I always ask is, when do you want it? Because okay. don't ask when they want it. You really don't know the urgency or, you know, what they're going to do with it. So that's really important to find out when they want it. And then the other thing you want to find out as well is to establish who else they're talking to. So are they actually talking to anyone else in the marketplace right now? And what types of things have they seen so that you can sell your offering from a wider market perspective so that you can make what you're offering relevant and different that way and differentiate yourself that way? So we always tend to ask those questions around that. And then the proposal will be put together either in that kind of traditional format um, where it's got the kind of beginning, the middle and the end, you know, the introduction, tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, then tell them what you've just told them in a summary or more of a framework document. But one of the things that I always do, first of all, is to start to talk about the client first. I never start a proposal by talking about our business first. It's always a pricey of what they're doing and what they want. And I tend to use the why, the how and the what. So why are we doing this? Why are we going to be working together is kind of an opening statement. And then talking about the client, how are we going to do this? Gives them a bit of process. And what we offer is the specific training. So tend to frame it that way. And that works very, very well. Got it. Got it. So I can perhaps tell you my process for proposals and then you can tell me how good or bad it is. So... (laughs) (laughs) it's actually a, a mix so some it, it depends on on the project to be honest if it's of a certain value then i'll do a what we call a demo which is kind of a walkthrough zoom presentation where i'll share my screen and go through the demo for kind of smaller stuff we'll send quick quotes but like you say just just like yourself you've got to conduct a good discovery first you've got to understand if they've actually got budget to work with you You've got to understand if they've actually got a problem that you can fix and all this good stuff before it even happens. I'm sure you'll agree. Um, and then, yeah, typically in our presentation, so we'll um, yeah, we'll do the Zoom screen share. We'll go through a recap of the goals and objectives that we've discovered in with them. So any problems they've got at the moment, where they want to get to, how we're going to do it, the time frame they've got to achieve it, who's involved in the decision and budget. Then once we've gone through those goals and objectives and they've agreed that those are the goals and objectives that they're happy and comfortable with, then we'll talk about the solution, which is customized to basically hit those goals and objectives, really. Um, so whether it's a website, whether it's digital marketing, whether it's SEO, walk them through that, the actual solution. Then we'll walk them through our process. So in terms of how it works with them on a monthly basis, how we communicate, um, how we'll be working together, how we'll, how we'll talk back and forth. Um, we'll talk about the investment, so the investment of time, the investment of costs and that sort of things. Um, and once we've gone through all of that throughout, I'm asking if they've got questions. So each stage I'm saying, look, often clients have questions at this stage. What are yours? Uh, which is a great tip that I heard in Sandler training a while ago. So that's that's something I could add here that anyone waiting to the end to ask questions is probably one of the worst things you can do. So after each stage of your proposal, if you're walking through with a client, say, look, often people have questions at this stage. What are yours? Rather right. than saying, do you have questions? Because yeah. people usually say, no, I don't. Well, we're fine, and then we'll, we'll talk about next steps. But um, that's that's a rough rough recap. I don't know what you think of that, Simon. If, yeah, you know, if it works, that's fantastic. I think the the big takeaway there is to engage with the client during that process. Nice. Um, sometimes when we ask people, "Have you got any questions?" it can put people under pressure. Um, it's a bit like mm. when you go to an author event and you you get the author reading their book, and then at the end of it you know, the bookstore, and it says, so does anyone have any questions? And you think, oh, now I've got to ask a question. So when we want to stimulate feedback, 
it's great that you say usually customers have some form of question right now about stuff we're doing. Or alternatively, you can say at this stage, we welcome any feedback or any comments you might have, or how is this sitting with you right now? Because often when we talk to clients, they have a response to some of the things that we're saying and it stimulates some questions. So by offering the options of questions, comments, or feedback, you tend to open up that question, that session a little bit more. So there's some great stuff in there and it sounds quite structured, which is quite nice. Cool, appreciate it. So let's go back to you. Um, you're the sales expert. I'm, I'm merely a, a, a dabbler. So in terms of... Um... <laughs> oh, do you know what as well? I hate that bloody word. I oh, really like the word expert. I really do. Oh, expert. <laughs> we'll you know, these days, everyone's a bloody expert, aren't they, on something? But I think yeah. it's when you have people who have expertise. And I think expertise is that blend of knowledge and doing it. And experience yep. so you know because i'm doing it I, I don't like being described as, a, as an expert because because I, I you know you're learning all the time and some of the things that i do with clients you know you get it wrong sometimes so much it doesn't matter how long you've been selling or how long you've been doing something you still make mistakes and there's nothing wrong with that we're all human you know and i you know i make some clangers just the same as everybody else has so and you still come up against objections and things True. that you think do you know, my mind just went blank in there and I know the way I should have done it. But do you know what? My mind went blank then and I screwed it up. And that's just life. So all we've got to do is just try to minimise, you know, the chances of these objections or the chances of ghosting going on and all those types of things. So, you know, just as a couple of extra things within proposals, for example, sure. I always like a section in proposal writing, which is called Next Steps. There has to be a section in there and it just needs to be labeled next steps. And in there, I always start it by saying, please read through everything within this proposal and decide what training is best for you based on what we have discussed. I will be in contact with you within 48 hours of receipt of this particular proposal. Or if I don't hear from you, I will be back in touch within two weeks so that you manage the expectations of that particular person. So they know what they're, they're gonna do and it stops them from kind of hiding away a little bit because they know they're gonna call you. The other thing that I always like in a proposal is an expiration date. Yeah, um, okay. me, everything is in that expiration date. Um, I want to be able to create a little bit of scarcity influence with that as well, so that you're saying that the prices you're quoting are valid and for the next six weeks. And after that, they would be negotiated. Not boiler room tactics of saying, if you buy it today, it's this price and tomorrow it goes up. That's not what this is about. It's just about creating a sense of urgency. The other thing that happens as well is if you put an expiration date on the proposal that you send, if that client chooses not to go with you at that time, it stops them if they come back to you in a year's time from holding you to ransom to those original prices. So therefore, it gives you, you know, a shelf life to your proposal so that you can go back and reacquaint things because things change. Awesome. So important. Um, I also like to make sure that a lot of proposals that I send are a PDF attachment to an email so that you then use the main body of the email as the old fashioned compliment slip where you're just talking about the niceties. And if you want to be really up to date by using things uh, like video apps, I think you mentioned to me the other day about Vidyard. It was you, wasn't it? Is that about Vidyard? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a great tool. I'm using that, so great tip. But creating a video compliment slip, which then goes into the main body of the email with the proposal and the proposal yep. is then attached. So okay. you can do that. Awesome. And my final tip, my final tip is to make the subject line of the email work really hard. And okay. this is where when somebody asks you for a proposal and you send it to them, the subject line needs to read RQST info dot dot requested information and then whatever that is proposal from sam dunning so that that client knows that when they receive that email and it says requested information or an abbreviation of that they know that they're expecting it and it's not spam Great. if they then ask you for extra information when you send that information to them the subject line reads a d d t n l info additional information if you are asking the client to do something for you, then the prefix is action required. 
or if you want them to sign it or to come back to you with something else, it's response required. By putting those commands at the front of an email, right in the subject line, you're telling the client to do something. And so as such, the likelihood of them ignoring your email is very, very low, and therefore they're going to read it and they're going to action it if there's a proposal. So sometimes it's those little tiny little details that make a difference. And I like to also put a watermark on the bottom. So, you know, the old fashioned footer. Yep. Put that in the bottom so that you know when that was created, really important. And then that comes through. It just makes it look quite polished and um, perfected as well. Love it. Some awesome tips there, Simon. Could we get a quick recap of the actual, rather than everything we just discussed, but the, the format of what that PDF proposal might look like in terms of kind of goals and objectives, um, yeah. solution, uh, perhaps cost and time frame, next steps? Yeah, so what, what, the way I do it is there's a cover page, always the cover page that's there. There will be, and let's just say it's you know quite a meaty one, and then you can up and down it from there. Contents page as well, so you can direct them through where it's going to go. Then a why statement as to why you're doing it, which is recapping exactly why you are actually going to be providing that client with that service and what they're looking for. So it's all about them. So then what you're then doing is putting the mechanics of how it's going to work and then your solution, then a section on costs and then a section on next steps. Awesome. So really very, very straightforward all the way through. Um, now, one thing that I don't like, and for a lot of people watching this, they'll probably think I'm wrong, and that's fine, maybe I am. But I don't like sales proposals or presentations that incorporate the client's logo. I don't like that. I think it feels sycophantic, and it leads you open to making mistakes. The number of times that I have seen salespeople, and I've gone out coaching them, and they go out with the presentation and they put the client's logo on the presentation. The client then says to them, where did you get that logo from? And suddenly you realize you've either put the wrong version of the logo, you've got it from a wrong source or it's the wrong resolution or something's wrong with it. Here's my thought. The client knows who they are. You don't need to blow smoke up their ass by putting their logo on stuff. You just don't. What you want to do is to make sure they walk away, not remembering who they are. They want to remember who you are. Yep. So your proposal is a living, breathing advert for your business, which should be made up of reasons and rationale why they should be using you above everyone else right now. So that's what you've got to be doing. You don't need to tell them who they are. They know who they are. You can mention them by name. Just don't waste time popping logos and things on everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Completely agree. And that's, yeah, that's something I stopped doing a while ago. The, the point you've raised, the last thing you want to do is annoy the client or the prospective client. Yeah, so, yeah get to yeah. the point. Um, it's a bit like 52-page PowerPoint decks. That oh, yeah. go out. And the owner of the business says they've got to see everything. And you know as the salesperson the client's only interested in pages three, seven, and nine. <laughs> and it's like, we don't need all the others. So Right. Too right. Too right. Um, awesome. Awesome, Simon. So in terms of actually once you've sent the proposal, what's yeah. the ultimate way to follow up? So how can we actually seal the deal? How can we bring the business in? Are we sending video messages? Are we phoning them up? Are we emailing them? What happens if they stop responding? Mm. Tell us what works for you. Okay, so it's uh, in answer to your phone, email, and video, it's yes, 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 and yes, of course. <laughs> we'll be doing that. We, um, we also know that clients take longer to make their mind up sometimes. You know, at the end of the day, their priority probably isn't dealing with you or me or anyone else. They've got other things to do, so things get in the way, and that happens. So you should continue to contact them as much as you possibly can. Now, sometimes clients will ghost you and that can happen. Um, and, you know, you've just got to stay. You've just got to be persistent. Now, a few years ago, a uh, big sales guy in America, Grant Cardone, posted, you know, sales stats from the real world. And he said that most sales are made between the eighth and twelfth contacts. You know, and that's quite true, actually. A lot of the time, it does take a long time to get through to someone. I have got a 14 contact rule. So okay. once I've sent something to someone, I will keep trying to contact them up to 14 times. And by that time, you can get a sense as to whether that client's not going to be in touch. And what I tend to do is once I get to 14 times, I then send what I call a uh, close your inquiry email. Mm 
And what I do is I send that email or video message or voice message that says, as you know, we had a great conversation about using me for your business, for your training or whatever your business is. And you seem really interested. You asked for a proposal. We sent that to you. And no doubt you would have seen some of my emails or messages trying to reach you. And I haven't been able to get in touch. So at this time, I'm going to assume that you are no longer interested in what we're going to do. And here's the magic words. I am going to close your inquiry. Now, this sends a really loud and clear message to the client. The first one it sends is that you value your own time and you're not here just to be a doormat. We're not just waiting for your business. That's not what we're doing. We value our time. And if you don't want to deal with us, we're really happy to close you off as an inquiry. That stops you chasing ghosts. So it's a really good thing to do there. The second thing it does is it sometimes gets that client to think, oh my God, I've been so remiss. I haven't got back to them. We were interested. And then you get the email back going, no, 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 we are actually interested. We've just had a couple of other things going on. Maybe we've got people coming back from furlough or we're making redundancies, had to restructure, all of that. And things just slipped. So therefore it prompts that. But one of the most powerful things that allows the client to do is to say no to you. Very rarely does a client actually say no. They find other ways of saying no in the form of an objection or some excuse, but very rarely do they say no. So what we're doing is we're giving them the option to say, no, you're absolutely right. We're not interested in this age and we can't go any further. That's fine, cut your losses, don't waste time chasing ghosts. So I think that when you've got a strategy that allows you to be persistent, you're using different method messages, but then at the end of it, you can say, I'm going to close your inquiry. It shows that you value yourself as a salesperson and that you can move on to those other clients who really do want to deal with you. But it can stimulate the client to actually buy from you as well. Love it. Love it. Nothing wrong with breakup emails. Um, like you say, no, no's are good. I'd much rather have a no than a think it over. And um, that's, that's yeah. the last thing I want. That's going to give me nightmares for the next six months. Yeah, um, it's me just go, what is it you need to think over? Yeah. What is it you're <laughs> unsure about? It's obviously my fault. I've missed something. Exactly. Which it's a bit good. like when somebody says to you, um, I'm going to have a think over and I need to go and talk to our finance director about that. And then the old trick is saying, OK, so no worries. Do you have everything you need to talk to the finance director? Yeah. And if it was your decision and your decision alone, would you be happy to go ahead? Uh, yeah, I would. That's great. What you've just done is you've transferred the sales process from you to them. And no client ever wants to come back to a salesperson and tell them that they can't sell. So the probability of you getting the business might have just gone up by asking the right question. Nice little tip. Nice little tip. And just to add to that, like you said, Simon, Vidyard's a great tool for getting yeah. responses. So I just, if um, I'm not going to go into it too much because me and Richard Harris talked about ghosting and quite a lot on a previous episode, yeah. but Vidyard, they've got a free service. So you can just sign up with them. And if you've had a client that's gone quiet or if you just want to follow up on a proposal, or presentation, whatever it may be, send them a quick, um, sign up to Vidyard, send them a quick 30 second message like, um, hey, Steve, loved our chat the other day. Just wondering if you still needed help solving X or getting X sorted. Um, if not, absolutely fine. Just let me know in our closure file. Or if yeah. you do want to pick up on a call or email, let me know and we'll book some time in later this week. That gets a really, really good response. Right? You know, I, ever since you told me about Vidyard, I've been looking for something similar. But mm. we always get it as a recommendation for someone. And it is absolutely spot on. It's a really good tool. So yeah. thank you so much. And anyone who's watching this, you know, it's free. Download it. It's it's a brilliant video tool. Yeah, and you can pop it straight in your emails. Or um, if you want to do a link, LinkedIn message works really well. Just like you said, you can do a link. If you're connected to someone on LinkedIn, just send them a video message through LinkedIn Messenger itself. That, yeah. that can work just the same. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, Simon, so, we've covered some fantastic ground. One final question. Is there one thing that businesses should be doing with digital marketing that's going to help them? I think, I think ultimately they just need to be doing it. You just need to be getting out right. there and doing something. I worry so much about businesses that when we get something bad happen that they go quiet and they just disappear. And mm. so, as Grant Cardone told us many years ago, people don't buy the best products, they buy the best known products. And, you know, we have to keep our message out there and don't worry about not having anything to say. If you if you feel that you've got nothing to say, then stick a quote up at the very least, you know, do something that keeps your name present and front of mind. So as long as you're doing something, something is better than nothing. So that's that's how I keep it going. I just keep that message out there all the time. 
Awesome, Simon. Well, you've been tuning into Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing's helped along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your sales and your business. Simon, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? Um, the person that I would thank first and foremost every single time is a guy called Jerry Ricketts. Um, Jerry Ricketts was a real mentor to me at Future. Um, he guided and navigated everything I do within training. And he taught me that ultimately what you have to do in life is leave an echo. Because if you leave a good enough echo, people will always come back. And it will come back in a really good way. And I have always, always looked to leave good echoes and do good things for people because it counts for double, triple, what have you. So he was a great mentor to me um, and he's a good guy. That's brilliant. What a good message. Yeah. All right, Simon, well, tell us a bit more about yourself, how people can learn from you, how people can connect with you, uh, a bit more about your business and the best way for people to get in touch. Okay, so very briefly, um, my business is Serial Trainer 7 Limited, so you can find me here on LinkedIn, but serialtrainer7.com is the website. There is a whole range of sales training and management training courses that are there, either in single day courses, digital courses, or as academy programs where we immerse into your business over a long period of time and develop your people over that time with a certificate at the end of it for you if you want. Um, the sales training is very practical. We don't use role plays and we don't use PowerPoint in our training at all. We rely on discussions, so no PowerPoint and no hideous role plays. We do do team exercises. Um, we do a lot of playful stuff as well because people learn when they play. So you're in for a great experience if you use us. There are on LinkedIn, on my LinkedIn page, over 230 testimonials from clients and delegates who have attended our training. So from a form of social proof, have a read of what they say and make up your own mind. Thank you, Simon. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on your chosen podcast channel of choice or on YouTube. We've got tons of episodes with business leaders, um, sales leaders, digital marketing leaders for you to enjoy. Simon, thank you once again. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.